We're going to be over in Exodus chapter 15, 16, and 17 this morning. There was a friend pastor had, his name was Danny Moss, and he told him a story about the time he played Santa Claus in the mall. He was playing Santa Claus, and he asked, you know, the common question. When the kids come up, they would bring their want list. You know, they'd have five things on it, ten things, fifteen things on their want list. These are the things that I want for Christmas. And so he would always ask them, you know, have you been a good girl? Have you been a good boy? And so this one young man, he came up to the, there and he sat on Santa's lap and he says, have you been a good boy? And he was unprepared for the answer that he received from this young man. He had never heard an answer quite like this in all the time that he had been playing Santa Claus. But this is what he said. He says, no, I haven't. And I'm not going to be either. Now, sometimes it's nice to be up front with your disobedience. But it seems that most people with God do it behind the scenes. We're not quite up front about our disobedience and about the things that we are not doing. We've been looking at patience here the last couple of weeks as we've been endeavoring to look at the things we can add to our life. We looked at how we can add joy to our life, how we can bring the peace of God in to do the things that it's supposed to do in our life and make our life complete. Now we've been on peace, or I'm sorry, patience. We saw in James chapter 1, verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And we looked at that and saw that it is not going through tests and trials that produces patience. It is the testing of your faith that produces patience. And if your faith is not tested correctly, you go through the test and trial and get nothing. We don't want to do that. If you're going to go through the test and trial, you might as well at least get into something. He says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Don't feel that God has planned this for you. Don't feel that because you prayed for patience, suddenly God is throwing tests and trials at you. This is falling into various trials. So along the course of life, you either disobeyed something or because you were hanging on to something in the Word or whatever it might be, you have come upon some tests and trials. Don't sit there and say, well, God willed this for my life. It says that when you fall into various trials, God is not leading you in a place to fall. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, he talks about patience and trials, he talks about wisdom. Let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not... Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So when you are in those tests and trials, one of the things you're going to need to ask for is wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. He will give it to you. Don't go around saying, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. You're in the test and trial. God will let you know what you need to do when you need to do it. But stay in faith. Don't become double-minded. The testing of your faith, it's not patience in just waiting for something to come, it's patient enduring, able to endure under whatever test and trial you are in. And that test and trial is testing whether your faith is going to bring the thing that you need. Make sure you stay with it. So that's the verse we, verses we started off with. Last week we were looking at that a big reason people lose patience and fall from faith is pressure. People feel pressure. Developing your spirit, we said is not listening to the first thing you hear in your spirit. It's obeying the first time God says something. 
When you develop your spirit, you obey the first time God says it. Not listen to the first thing that you hear. Just because you heard it doesn't mean it came from God. We ended up giving you this last week. The progress of spiritual development is there are points, paths, and purposes. There are points. These are times of obedience. These are times when you were tested to obey, to decide to do what God said to do. That's a point. Many times we can look back and say, God tested, not, not God tested, but I was in this test. I knew what God's word said. I was tempted to go a different way, but I stayed with it or I fell from it. Whatever that point was, you can look back and say, I did or I didn't, and it changed some things. From that point, you have a path. Hopefully those paths are the way of obedience instead of the way of disobedience, and they lead us to a purpose that God has for us. That's the reason for our obedience. Well, over here in Exodus 15, last week we were looking at the Red Sea crossing. Today we're, they've gotten across been uh, into the wilderness here in verse 22 of chapter 15. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. So before they had an abundance of water. Now they have a lack of water. They got a lot of water problems. They went three days into the wilderness found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. Now you can read right over this and miss yourself in this story because you have gone through similar things like this how many times have you lacked something that you needed maybe it wasn't water maybe it was a job maybe it was money to pay a bill maybe it was some kind of a blessing that you needed from god some kind, something that you needed from god and you lacked it and you were standing believing god we're believing for this and all of a sudden off on the horizon there it is a job offer, a raise, a promotion, something. And there it is, and you see it. You say, this is what we've been believing for. This is what we needed. God knew we needed water. There's the water. It's right there off. We can see it off in the distance. We haven't had water. Now we got water. Let's go get it. And so they get on out to the water, and what do they find? Water's bitter. It's no good. We thought this was the answer that God gave us. And it's not. See, sometimes we've, we've looked at things like this and we become dis- disappointed and our faith has become let down. Don't let your faith become let down. Stay with it. Hang on to it. Just because you came to the waters of Marah and it isn't quite what you can use, isn't quite what you needed, don't give up on it. You could be believing God for a promotion at work you're up for the promotion. There's three other people. You're saying, Father God, I believe for favor. That when I go into that interview, I'll have favor. And you go into favor, and somebody else got the, the uh, promotion. And you come out of there and say, oh, I, was, I was asking God for a promotion. I needed a raise. And this was it. And, and then it went away. How did that happen? And we become disillusioned in our faith because our endurance isn't there. Our endurance was there until we got to the water. So as we got to the water, we said what? This isn't it. This is, oh, I, I really thought this was going to be the blessing that we needed. Oh, I thought this was the way we were going to go. And it's not. Oh. We've become disillusioned. we become let down. And we let our faith go because our patience ran out. You have as much faith as you have patience. 
You have as much faith as you have patience. You've got to build up your patience. You've got to build up your, able, your ability to endure. You know, if you get on that treadmill over there at the gym and you get on there for five minutes and you're huffing and puffing, your endurance isn't where it needs to be. So you stay on it and keep on going. Get that endurance up. That's what you've got to do. Get your endurance up. And it's, you've got to be able to go into a situation and just because it isn't what you think it is, hang on to your faith. Israel did not do that here. They put all their faith into what we saw on the horizon. And when they got there and found out it was Mara, it was bitter. Oh, it became let down. Disillusioned. And look at what happened after that. And the people complained against Moses saying, what shall we drink? Now, it does not say that the people asked Moses, what shall we drink? It doesn't say that the people inquired of the Lord, what shall we drink? It doesn't say that the people said, Father God, we believe that you have done great things for us crossing over the Red Sea. And here we are. We need water. And we thank you that we have what we need. Where shall we get some? It doesn't say that. It says they complained. There is a difference between asking a question, inquiring, what shall we do? And asking a question that complains. You all know it. You've all heard it. If you have raised kids, if you have been a kid. Do we have to eat that? Is this what's for dinner? I mean, it's a question, right? But what are they doing? Complaining. It's a question, but it's a complaining question. Do I have to be home by 6 o'clock? Do I have to clean up my room now? So you can ask a question and complain at the same time. We got good at it when we were kids, and now we can hear it in ours. That's a complaining question. That's exactly what the children of Israel are doing here. It is a complaining question. Now, we, we may spot this in our children, but we do not spot this very often in our own prayers. How many times have we made prayers to God, and we have made complaining prayers to God? Believing God for healing. Do I have to keep waiting? How come it hasn't happened yet? We come up with complaining questions. God doesn't want to hear complaining questions any more than you want to hear complaining questions. But that's what he got. So understand when it says, what shall we drink? I mean, it sounds legitimate. There, the water here is not good. It's, what shall we drink? It sounds legitimate. Except it says it's a complaining question. Well, you're expecting good things. We're expecting this to happen. Because they have no endurance. No endurance. Can you imagine them walking through the wilderness? Now, the first day, they had some water still in their supplies. Understand, they did not refill all their water at the Red Sea. That's not the right kind of drinking water. So they went with the water they had, day one, day two, but we're starting to, to run out. We're getting thirsty. I don't know what day they ran out on, but uh, at some point, they ran out, and they need to get some water. And they start complaining. What are we going to drink? What are we going to do? So he cried out, Moses, he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. And he said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you, which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, 
where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees, so they camped there by the waters. Somebody went around, had nothing else to do, they counted. I think of uh, the count on Sesame Street. Anybody remember the count on Sesame Street? Wherever he went, whatever he saw, he had to count the stuff. So I don't know if I came into a place with 70 palm trees and a bunch of wells. I'm not bothering counting the, the palm trees, but that's what you, maybe you want to do there. That's what they did. But Moses goes to God and he says, God, what, what shall we do? Now, what does God use? This is a huge, you've got to learn this thing. If you, you know, if you learn only one principle today, learn this principle. What does God use? He uses everything and only those things that they already had. He only used what they had. What did they have? Bitter water. And a tree. Now, they looked at these things and saw a problem. We can't drink anything. What does God do? He looks at these things and he sees a solution. If you go into your situations, your tests and trials, and your joy level is low, you're not walking in the peace of God, and you have no endurance, no patient endurance, you will walk into this situation and only see useless trees and bitter water. But if you are God and you are Moses and you walk into the same situation. Now, understand, Moses has no water either. He's just as thirsty as the rest of them are. He doesn't have any more water than the people do. So he's undergoing the same problems that they are. But he's not complaining. He goes to God and says, what shall we do? And God showed him what to do. And Moses doesn't say, that won't work. Moses doesn't argue with God. Moses doesn't try and sell this on the people. Moses just comes out there and says, get that tree, throw it in the water. What good? They're probably saying, what good is that going to do? Cut that tree, put it in the water. He doesn't put up with it. He just get it, get it over there and get it done. See, God will use what you have to take care of. Now, we're going to show you a, a, uh, this in a better principle here at the end. Don't let me forget. I think I have it in your outline. We shouldn't be able to, to forget that. But the people complained, but everything that they needed, they had. Everything they needed, they had. But they just couldn't see it working. They couldn't see it working. Now, now think back. How many went through algebra? How many went through algebra? How many had a difficult time with algebra? <laughs> How many algebra was easy? All right. A lot of people aren't raising their hands. So I just... when, you are, when you face algebra, you have letters and numbers, and you're supposed to add them together. Who in the world came up with this? I don't know, because you add numbers, you don't add letters. Numbers you add, letters you spell. I think it's pretty simple. Pretty simple concept. Somebody decided to mix it up and that this would be a good idea. So we mixed it up. Now we have, we're adding letters. But when you looked at that algebraic equation and you got, you know, A over 12 equals and pluses and minus and all these different things. And you're looking at it and say, I can't solve that. Yet everything you needed to solve that equation was up there on the board. 
but you couldn't see it. And so the teacher's job was to teach you how to look at an algebraic equation and break it down and then break it down again and then break it down again until you finally got it down to a simple answer to once you can solve that answer, you could solve the whole thing. And that's what they did with the, with the algebra. That's how they taught you the. But you look at that equation and you say, I can't do it. You get mad, you get frustrated, you get the question wrong, you fail, all this sort of stuff. It, uh, it didn't do so well. This is the same thing here. You're looking basically at an algebraic equation. And you're seeing letters and numbers. And it doesn't add up. And God sees the final answer. He sees the final. He knows how, how to bring that about. Well, now, may, many of you may not admit it, but you use algebra all the time. Constantly, we're using algebra. If you have, you know, we always know the sports illustration. If Michael Jordan scored 15 points in the first quarter, how many points will he likely score in the game? That's an algebraic equation. And you just, you automatically do it. Well, if you scored 15, we'll figure 15 per quarter and you multiply 15 times 4 and you figure that's what it's going to be. So that's how we, we do that. If, um, you know, you, and you can make it even more complicated. If Michael Jordan scored 30 points in the first three quarters of the game, how much will he score in the rest of the game? Well, now you've got to take the 30 points and you've got to break it down by three quarters. Now he scored 10, 10, and 10 average. So we'll say he scores 10 more. And then you come up with, that's algebra. Now some of you folks are not sports people, so I don't care about sports. But say you're at home and you're cooking. And you have a recipe that will, that will feed 10 people. But you have 15 people coming. What do you need to do? I need to take the recipe and solve it. For a different figure. That's algebra. This is another way of doing it. It's not just multiplying the thing out. You've you, you, you got to solve for some things. Because not everything transfers exactly even. And so in your head, you transfer. And if you're a good baker or cook, or you, do, you just do this stuff automatically. You just think about, oh, I just need this much. And we just go for, for this, this way. And you know how to, how to do it. You've got to get that way with the things of God. You've been looking at a problem like an algebraic equation and not seeing the answer. But God saw the answer. Real simple. Take the tree, put it in the water. We're good. So they go ahead and do that. Now you would think after you had came through the Red Sea and the entire Egyptian army is wiped out, you came to your first test after that where there's no water and you come to this nice looking patch of water and find out that the water is no good, bitter, either doesn't taste good or it's bad or it'll kill you or some kind of, somehow it was not a good thing to drink. And uh, however they determined that, I don't exactly know. But they determined it and they, uh, they didn't drink it. Then they come to another spot in Exodus chapter 17. Now again, they looked around and they found an inventory lacking. God found it to have, what? Everything needed. Everything needed was right there. They just couldn't see it. In Exodus 17 verse 1, Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Now, how many... I mean, this is not very long after the other incident. Not very long. How many of you could 
could picture yourself in this situation. We've gone through the Red Sea. We went through the, the waters of Marah. And God came through on those things. How many of you think that you could go through this and say, God can come through? But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, now we're not talking about bad water. There's no water. Well, if we had some water, we know that God can convert it, but there's no water here. What do we do when there's no water? Therefore, the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. Now, they're not just coming up there and asking them. You know, like your kids would come in and say, Mom, can we have dinner? That's not what they're saying. It says they contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. Now, I picture that this way. They come up and they're storming Moses. You give us water now that we may drink or you die. And Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Now, if you go into a test or trial and your joy is low and you're not walking in the peace of God and you have not in, gotten your patience to have some build up endurance and you come into this situation, you will very often despair of life, despair of all sorts of stuff. You'll be ready to give up. Now, I'm sure no one here would be this way, but maybe you can think back to some of your friends where they faced the test of trial and they were ready to give up. They're ready to give up on their friends. They're ready to give up on their job. They're ready to give up on their car. They're ready to give up on God. They're ready to give up on life. I'm just tired of this. I'm just always fighting this. And no matter what, it's always a battle. It's always, a, always got a battle. Wherever I go, it's a battle. Wherever I go, people are letting me down. Wherever I go, people are... You can hear that, right? They're, not, they're, they're contending with God on this thing. They're contending with you maybe even. And they're, they're just... They're tired of it. That is the person whose joy level is low. Whose peace... They're not walking... The, God's, the, the peace of God, they're not walking in. And their patience has no endurance. Now, whose fault is it? Well, who's responsible for getting your joy level up? I am. Who's responsible for walking in the peace of God? I am. Who's responsible for getting your patience to have endurance? I am. So when I walk into those situations and they frustrate me, whose fault is it? It's mine. But who gets blamed? God, exactly what Israel's doing here. Moses, this is your fault. You brought us out here to kill us. Oh, yeah, yeah. I came out there. We, sh we showed up in, in Egypt. And I thought it just, just for kicks that we would do all these miraculous things with the frogs and the gnats and the boils and the water and the firstborn and so forth. And I thought just for kicks we would do that. And then we brought you all the way over here to the Red Sea. And Moses says, I just thought, you know, just for kicks, let's just part the waters and let them go through on dry ground. And I don't know, just add a little bit of spice to it. Let's wipe out the Egyptian army. And let's take them to the first place where there's bitter water. And let's take care of that. And there's another situation we're going to look at that they, uh, they hit. And they uh, didn't come through that too well either. And then we get to here. And then they say, Moses, you did all this just to kill us. Us, our kids, our livestock, Everything. 
yeah, I was kind of bored over on my area in the wilderness there. So I just had this idea to come on down here and lead you guys along the way. I mean, obviously it was me who put up with all the frogs and got them all to come on out in the land and did the stuff with the gnats and the darkness. That was me. Yes. But this is how we get. Because when we go into situations like tests and trials and we have not maintained our joy, we are not walking in the peace of God and our patience has no endurance. This is what we will do. We will blame the people that are around us. And then we will blame God. Are you learning anything? Yeah. You're learning how to fail. You're learning how to disbelieve God. You're learning how to do it wrong. You're learning, learning how to be carnal in a spiritual world. It's not a good way to do it. Not a good way to do it. But that's what they did. And the people thirsted for water. Well, who, else is, who else is thirsting beside the people? Moses. I don't see that Moses is the type of leader who keeps his stash of stuff. That's my water. You leave my water alone. No, I don't see Moses doing that. Moses is thirsty too. But he's not complaining. So they contend with him. The people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us, our children, our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. He's not even talking to God about the problem. He said, What shall I do with these people? These people, no matter what they face, they fall into doubt and unbelief. They have no endurance at all. They can't, can't stand any kind of a battle. They're ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. And behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb. And you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. Now if you're Moses and God tells you to take a rod, no matter how majestic that rod is, and go and strike a rock. How many of you, and you're going to do this in front of all the people who are thirsty people who are ready to stone you because you have not brought water. So now you're going to stand up in front of two to four million people ready to stone you and do nothing but take a rod and strike a rock because God said to do it. Aren't you glad you weren't Moses? I mean, that's, that's something else. He says, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So we didn't have that recorded, but apparently they're saying, I don't even think God's here. I don't even think God's doing it. I think this is all you, Moses. I don't think God's doing a thing. Have you ever felt tempted to say stuff like that? God, I thought I was following you. I thought I was following your plan, but I got nothing but trouble. I thought I was trusting the right people, but people have just betrayed me. I thought I was in the right place. I thought you led me into this, this spot, but this and this is going on. I don't even know if you're real. I don't even know if you're with me. I don't even know if, 
any of this is going to going to happen. If you ever had that temptation, so did Israel. They fell for it, don't you? Now Moses does not fall for this temptation. The children of Israel are. So before we had bad water, now we have no water. So the people contended with Moses. Now I put in your outline this. I just said, is, is Moses thirsty? Sure. He's under the same natural circumstances as Israel, yet he reacts differently. Why does he react differently? Because his joy is different than theirs. Because he's walking in the peace of God. Because his faith has patient endurance. Now let's go back to the story we skipped, Exodus chapter 16. And they journeyed from Elam, and all the, ch- the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Now you all know that there's a school named Ramah, and you know, uh, of course, I went there and you know about that one. You know, do you all know that there's a Bible school called Elam? This is where they got their name from. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly, with hunger. So they ran out of food. The whole congregation, I mean, they had some food. They were eating that food. What day did they leave Egypt. Do you remember when God set up the pastor for them? What did he say to them? This will be the first of months to you. This will be the first day of the first of the month. And he redid their whole calendar. So if that was the first of the first month, they're now on the 15th day of the second month. How long have they been traveling? About a month and a half. And they ran out of food. Now they probably didn't run out of food this morning. They probably ran out of food a few days ago, and they're starting to get hungry now. How long does it take you to get hungry? How many? One meal. One meal, and we are hungry. Some, some Christians are really good at fasting between breakfast and lunch. Really, really good at it. They can fast entirely from breakfast to lunch, not eat a thing. Yeah, it's not quite fasting, is it? We don't know how long it was they went, but they were hungry enough that it was moving them to, to do some things that um, kill people, yell at God, question things. So they complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, verse 3, and the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Well, I don't know. They can die here. Just, just don't drink any of the water and don't eat any of the food. You'll die. I mean, you can have what you want. Isn't it amazing the people that go around and say, oh, that I were dead. Okay. You don't see it too often, but every once in a while you see it on those TV shows, you know, the guys on the bridge. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And once in a while you see it, you know, well, let me help you. You're trying to encourage them to go off, push them off. And, no, no, no. <laughs> Suddenly they're clinging to life. Uh-huh. They don't really want to die. These folks don't want to die either. Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. In other words, if God would have killed us in Egypt, that would have been better than the Egyptians killing us. But, um, you know, why didn't he just kill us down over there? When we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. Now, they were slaves. The Egyptians didn't take real good care of them. 
from what we understand. How many of you think they had pots of meat? How many of you think they ate bread to the full? Can you see the Egyptians come over? Have you had enough bread? Would you like some more bread? Well, yes, I, would you mind going back into the kitchen and getting me some more bread? I'd be right back with some more bread for you. And how's that pot of meat? You haven't hit the bottom yet, have you? I can go get you some more meat. Oh, please. I could really use some more meat. It was a hard day working today. Can you get me some more meat? Be happy to. What else? Anything else you'd like? I'd like some dessert? You bring out some cheesecake? Maybe a little bit of ice cream? Anything else I can get for you while we're... Can you see that happening in the land of Egypt? I don't see that happening at all, especially from the response to things. Isn't it amazing how our minds remember things differently? We're suddenly, oh, I think it was better. I think it was, it was, it was better there. You're in a school and you move from one school to another and now you're in this new school and suddenly things are hard and suddenly the old school looks so much better. Why did you leave the old school? I don't know. I think that old school was, wow, it was so much better. I think the teachers were nicer. I think the tests were easier. I think I was learning more. Why did I leave that school? And then you go back and you find your journal. And in your journal, you, you wrote in there, this teacher hates me. None of the teachers will spend any time with me. I'm not getting anywhere. I'm not learning anything. I'm getting some of the answers all right in the test, but I'm not feeling like I'm, I'm not being prepared and not being learned. And none of the students here will even talk to me. And you look at that journal and you say, really? Put it, to you, put it to you this way. How many of you know after you got married for a while, for a year or two, things started getting rough because you know, things are, are good for the first week. And then usually things get a little bit tougher. And then sometimes you think back and say, why did I leave that other boyfriend, girlfriend? Why did, I, why did I walk away? That was so much easier. It was so much better. We forget about all the things that made us not continue on that relationship because we remember the good things. Remember the... And, and you know who comes along to help us with that? The enemy. The enemy fans of flame. Oh, yeah, it was so much better. You should go back to that. You should leave your wife, leave your husband, and go back to that. Oh, it was so much better. You know, you have, have kids and they're starting to grow up and all of a sudden you see problems with the kids. I don't see these problems with other people's kids. Are mine defective? Should I, should I send them back? I mean, what's going on with this? Same thing that happens with Israel. Our memory becomes tainted. What you need to do, folks, is whatever God puts you into, whatever God direction God sent you, you stay with it. And even though it gets tough, you don't give up. You stay with it. You don't quit. You don't go on saying, well, it was so much better before because you're going to sound as stupid as these guys do. Pots full of meat. Bread till we were full. In another place, they talk about all the leeks and garlic that they had. How hungry must you be that you are thirsting for leeks and garlic? I like garlic, you know, in my... Spaghetti sauce and, uh, and stuff. I, I, I like garlic on bread. And stuff. I don't want to eat garlic by itself. I don't want to do that. And leeks, I am not even trying that. It just doesn't sound very appetizing to me. But suddenly they got hungry for those things. 
For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly, with hunger. So first we're going to kill you with thirst, and then we're going to kill you with hunger. Before that, we were going to kill you with the Egyptian army. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread, uh, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day. Then I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. So God said, God had a plan all the, all the while. God had a plan the entire time. He knew when I take them out into the wilderness, there is no food out there for them to eat. There is no McDonald's for me to provide for them for, through. There is nothing out there for me. To, there's no place for them to drive up to. There's, there's no food. There's no grocery stores. There's no vineyards. There's no gardens. It's a wilderness. It's called a wilderness because it's filled a wilderness. There's just nothing there. Nothing's really growing. There's no places to get food. So God knows when I take them out there, I'm going to have to provide them with some food. So God has a plan. The whole time, God has a plan. He's got a plan for the water. He's got a plan for the food. What do you have to do to tap into that plan? Ask God. God, you brought us out in this wilderness. So you kind of knew that there was no food out here. What were you planning to do to feed two to four million people? See, ask, if you lack wisdom, ask God for wisdom. God, we, don't, we want to know. What was your wisdom? What was your direction? What were you thinking about doing? And God said, oh, I have a plan right here. Here it is. We're going to start raining bread down from heaven. And now that you asked about it, here it comes. Because what did Jesus always make them do whenever they wanted something? Ask. Always made them do. What did Jesus do in general? Only what he saw the Father do. So Jesus did what he saw the Father do. So the Father is ask. I mean, can you imagine God up there? They're all down here. They're getting hungry. Hungry, hungry, hungry. And uh, God's saying, when do you think they're going to ask me for some food? I mean, come on. I mean, ask for some food. This is a common thing we do with, with kids. When kids don't want to eat the right food, they want to eat the wrong food. That, uh, you know, it was done for me. And you've all done it for yours too. You know, mom and dad, they make a plate. Here's your plate. When you get hungry enough, you'll come eat it. How many have been through that one? Yeah, been through it. <laughs> when you get hungry enough, here it is. And then what do they do? They come and they ask for, can I have a cookie? No. No. Here's your food. When you're hungry enough, you come eat it. Because when you get hungry enough, you know, whatever's on that plate, it starts to look a whole lot better. And God says, when are they going to get hungry enough to ask me for some food? I got food. We got a bunch of it up here. I'm ready. We are ready to rain it down. All they got to do is ask. And what are they doing? Not asking. Until they finally get fed up and they start complaining. What if they would have just asked sooner? Well, they wouldn't have been hungry. They would have had it sooner. But here it is. God has it. He says, all right, here it is. Tomorrow, here's what we're going to do. But I'm going to test them. I'm going to test them. Going to make sure that they're, they're, you know, that they're learning some stuff. And so here's Moses. Here's the instructions. I, you can read the rest of the chapter. If you want to see the instructions? I'm going to summarize it for you. Here's the instructions. He says, uh, when it comes down, it's going to fall down in the morning like dew, and they go out and they gather it up. But they're only supposed to gather enough for what they need for the day. At the end of the day, you need to throw it away. 
Because if you try and keep it until the morning, it's going to smell bad and worms are going to get all over it. How many like to have something in your house there you open it up and there's worms? How many did, ugh, I just kind of get, you don't like it. Yeah, well, they did that and it smelled. It smelled. It, it's got to be something really bad. It's like spoiled milk. How many know spoiled milk has a nasty smell? It's just hard to get rid of. It's got to be something along those lines. I don't know exactly what it was, but it smelled and it was bad. So much so that the people were kicking it out of their house. So they, uh, so remember, they were hungry. They did without. So when you're hungry, you're doing without. You tend to want to hoard to bring it in. Well, I, I mean, God said it's going to happen every morning. It happened. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So I'm going to take extra. And a lot of people took extra, kept it in there. Guess what they had in the morning? Smelly house with worms. So they're dumping it out. Now, you know exactly who took too much and who kept it. Now, if you took too much, it's, that's, probably, that's not necessarily disobedient. But he said, if you have too much, get rid of it. Throw it out. That means I have to depend on it coming down the next day. Throw it out. Get rid of it. So they kept it in their homes. And it smelled. And they were there trying to air it out. I mean, we know who the disobedient people are. Airing out the house. How can you not inside today? Oh, man, it smells in there. Oh, you kept some of the extra food, huh? Yeah, yeah man, that was nasty. And those worms? I've never seen worms like that. Those are nasty worms. Now, when you do that, the next day, what are you going to do? Just enough, and if I have anything left over, it's gone, right? But see, that wasn't the, all the instructions. The instructions were that six days this is going to fall. On the Sabbath, it's not going to fall. So on the Friday, you need to collect extra and keep it in the house, and it won't smell. It won't go bad. You'll have it for Sunday. So the next day, if you read through the rest of the chapter, you're going to find out people showed up in the morning to collect the manna. And it wasn't there. Who do you think showed up to collect the manna? The people who took the extra before. I'm not having that stuff in my house again. I know what it was like. You know how long it took me to air that thing out? That took a long time to get that smell out of there. And those worms? I'm not having those worms again. That freaked my kids out. They saw that. Oh, they're still having nightmares over those worms. I'm not doing that again. No way. Bring in extra? No, I learned my lesson. I'm not bringing it in. So they're obeying according to their disobedience. Not according to what God said. And so they go out and they're looking. It's not here. It's not here. And they probably even have the gall to go to Moses. Moses, it's not. Where's the manna? Moses said, I gave you the instructions. On Friday, you collect twice as much because on Saturday, the Sabbath is not going to come. And so they went hungry that day. And so after we got through the first week, now we've got it all down. But we have it down because we disobeyed, not because we obeyed. So they were tested. How did they do? Fail. Fail. What happened to their patient enduring? Didn't produce any patient enduring. So we had the Red Sea. Fail. We had the waters at uh, Marah fail. We had the incident with manna, which wasn't just a one-time thing. There was the complaint. That's a fail. There's the collecting of extra on the first day it fell. That's a fail. There was not collecting extra 
on the Friday before the first Sabbath. That's a fail. And then we have the other time they come to the water, there's no water, and we have another fail. All these tests, and they failed each one. No patient enduring. Got absolutely nothing out of it. They're not doing so well. So what they have here is pressure is being applied. And they are being moved by the pressure. They're first feeling the pressure because they're thirsty and the water's bad. Then they're feeling the pressure because they're hungry and there's no food. Then they're feeling the pressure because I was hungry. Now there's food. Now I'm going to take an abundance. Then they feel the pressure because I smelled the house before. Pressure is going to keep me from obeying. And they give in to the pressure. They give in to the pressure. They're moved by the pressure. They're not moved by the, what the Word of God says. We've got to stop being moved by pressure. We've got to be moved by what the Word of God says. Now, i put this in your outline for you. A bad reaction to our natural needs creates a lack in our spiritual life. A bad reaction to our natural needs creates a lack in our spiritual life. The areas in the spirit, the joy, peace, long-suffering, the love walk, all these things that are in the spirit, all these spiritual things that we're supposed to, to walk in. When we have a lack in the natural realm and we respond to it badly, it produces a lack in our spiritual life. And you keep pulling from your spiritual life. What happens to your faith? What happens to your, your walk? What happens to your spiritual development? We've got to learn how to face the natural lack and not lose things in the spirit. Now, here's the principles I told you about. I want to make sure that you get a hold of this. When God does a miracle... When God does a miracle, and we're looking at miracles so far with the crossing of the Red Sea. We're looking at miracles so far with the uh, uh, waters of Merah, with the bread from heaven, with the no water and the water from the rock. These are miracles. When God works a miracle, get this down, folks. You, this, is, this is huge. He uses what you have. When God works a miracle, He uses what you have. There's two parts of this principle, and they're going to work together for you here. When He fed 5,000 men, plus their wives and their kids, that was a miracle. What did He use? Only what they had. We have a few fish and some loaves. But what is that among so many? Have them all sit down. He uses that. When he did the 4,000, he did the same thing. He used what they had. When Elisha saw the widow who was facing a debt, she needed a miracle. What did Elisha do? What do you have in the house? I have some oil. So he used the oil she had to create the miracle. He did tell her to go out and get some other containers. But what he used was the oil that she had. When Elijah came to the widow, what, what was used to create the miracle? What they had. And she stated what she had. Remember what she said? We have some meal and a little oil. We're going to make a cake, eat it, and die. He used 
what they had. When God does a miracle, he uses what you have. Most times people need a miracle. They're looking for God to use what they do not have. But every time that God used or performed a miracle, brought a miracle about, he used what they had. Now here's the second part. When God brings a blessing, he uses what you don't have. When God brings a blessing, he uses what you don't have. You sow and you reap. Even when you sow corn, you sow a little corn. What do you reap? Much corn. Now, he used what you, what you had in there, but what did you, what did you reap from? Where did that corn come from? I mean, it, it just, I don't know, I put it in the ground, it grows up, and there's more. Somehow, it uses the dirt and the light and the air and the water. And the water, you don't have the water. The water comes from heaven. The sun, you don't turn it on and off. The sun comes from heaven. The soil, you may own the plot of ground, but it's not your soil. God made the soil. God provided the soil. He's going to bring a blessing from what you don't have. He brings this, He opens the storehouses of heaven, it says in the Word of God. He says, try me. You just watch. I'll bring this. I'll open up the storehouses of heaven. Open it up for you. And it will come. But when he brings a miracle, he's, he's, going to, he's going to stay right with what you got. What do you have? What do you have right there? What do you have in your hand? When he brings a blessing, it's going to come in ways and things you don't even have. People are going to bless you. Situations are going to come along. The blessings open up. He's going to use things that you don't even have in your, in, in your uh, arsenal right now. He's going to use things. He's going to bring them to you. Now look at this. Blessings come as a result of obedience and or sowing and reaping. The blessings of God come as a result of obedience and or sowing and reaping. If I obey and do what God says, then God can open up the storehouses and he can pour out things on me. Power of God can come in. If I obey, he can, he can do that. There's sowing and reaping. God may say to you, he says, you need to sow. He knows that there's a need coming up. He'll be telling you right now, you need to sow. You need to do this because it's important for you to sow now so that your, your harvest comes down the road. Because when you get to that harvest, when you, when you need that harvest and you have no harvest coming, now you need a miracle. But God would have provided it through a blessing. So too often folks were looking for miracles instead of blessings. I want to go out there and do whatever it is I want, come to God and say, God, heal me, and then go off and do something, do something else. When God wants to bless you with good health, We're not, we're not tapping into the blessings. We're tapping into, we, we, we want to tap into the miracles. Miracles, blessings come as a result of obedience and our sowing and reaping. Miracles because of the compassion of God and our faith in His Word. If you're going to have a miracle, He's going to speak His Word. You've got to have faith in that Word. You've got to do it. You've got to obey it. 
But a miracle, I love, somebody, somebody taught me this a long time ago. A miracle is always just what you need. A blessing is more than you need. A miracle is just what you need. It's just enough to get you by. How much bread did they get in the day? Just what they needed. When they came into the promised land and the manna stopped, how much food did they have? All they wanted. And they could store it up. Not being mindful of this causes us to look outside of what we have for a miracle. If we're not mindful of these principles, or these two principles, we begin to look outside. I need a miracle. And God, I need a miracle. I have nothing. I have nothing at all. I need a miracle. And we just sit here and we wait for God to do something. And that doesn't happen. Because God always, when people needed a miracle, He set them in motion. He set them to go in a direction. When the man came, Naaman came for our healing, he needed a miracle. He was going to die of this disease. He needed a miracle. And what did he tell him to do? Go out in the river and dip. He needed obedience. Have faith in the word. Go out there and obey. You need to, you need to do that. There's times Jesus, here's, here's the word. You need to have faith and obey it. And a miracle would come into their life. The children of Israel did not learn patient enduring in all these tests and all these trials that we've looked at so far. They're going to continue to fail. And they're going to not learn what they need to learn. And we're going to see this miracle and blessing thing, how it will impact them down the road from here. But you may look at your life and you may say, I need a, I need a miracle, I need something to happen, and you just sit back and you wait for God to do something. And you wonder, does God not care? Is God not doing anything for me? That's not how God works. Now, it may be that you were supposed to sow something and you didn't sow it. We're not just talking money. There's other things that God has asked you to sow. And you were supposed to sow something and you didn't do it. And now that harvest can't come in and take care of the need that you have. But you still go to God and say, God, I have a problem. What do I need to do? Don't complain. A great indicator that your joy and your peace and your patience are not where they should be is when you are in a test and trial and at any point in that test and trial, you gripe and complain. You despair that God cares about you. You despair that people care about you. At any time in a test and trial, if you despair of those things, it is an indicator that your joy, your peace, your patience are not where they should be. And sometimes we go back there and we say, well, if I'm going through this, God must think that I can make it through this thing. Yes, if you have your joy and your peace and your patience where they should be. But you see, have we been like the children of Israel and we've been going through tests and trials and not learning what we needed and not making any advances and not growing at all and our joy and our patience and our peace hasn't grown you won't face obstacles with the ability to overcome. You'll need a miracle from God to get you through. Just like Israel needed a miracle from God to get them through. But God has other plans. He has other plans. The people in your life you see as a problem, 
God can see them as trees for bitter water. Whatever, wherever you are, whatever situation you are in, if you need a miracle, everything you need, you have. Now, you just got to put it together in the right way. It took God to tell him, take that tree, put it in the water, it'll be fine. Remember when the stew got poisoned? Some of the people ate it. Oh no, the, the stew's going to kill people. And they were told what to do for that. And it took, took care of the stew. That was under Elisha. You need a miracle? You have what you need. Don't listen to the enemy and don't listen to your flesh. The enemy and your flesh want to tell you you don't have what you need. You're going down. When David faced up against Goliath, doesn't he need a miracle for this little guy to take on that big guy? What did God use? What he had in his hand. I just love this, this phrase, one of many of the things of the story. But you think back on the story. Do you remember when David said, this day I will cut off your head? What sword did David have? He had no sword. Whose sword was he intending to use? <laughs> Goliath, because it was there. He intended to use Goliath's sword to cut off his head. Otherwise, why is he saying, I'm going to cut off your head? You don't cut it off with a slingshot? He says, I'm going to knock you out. He's got the plan all down. I'm going to knock you out. I'm going to take your sword. I'm going to cut you off your head. And then after that, you know what? David kept the sword. It's mine. <laughs> I killed the guy. I keep the sword. He kept the sword. Then they put a kind of a hall of fame. This was David's sword. Kind of like this were Michael's shoes. Whatever situation, you need a miracle. Don't let the enemy tell you you don't have what you need. Go to God and say, God, I need a miracle. What is it that I have that you are already prepared to use? Show me what it is. And God will show you how to take what you have and to use it. In the second story with the, with the water, he used what? The rod that they had and the rock that was there. In the first story with no water, he used the water that was there and the tree that was there. God will use what you have. Let them use what you have. Don't go into despair. Sit in that test and that trial and say, Father God, I am not giving into fear. I am not giving into doubt. I am staying this, this way. Because the enemy is going to try and come along. He's going to try and tell you, you know, you're going to die. You're going you're to die. You went to the doctor. You got a test done. And they, they didn't call you right away. And so the enemy says, you know why they didn't call you right away? Because it's bad news. And they're preparing themselves to give you the news. Or they're double-checking their work to make sure that they were right. But the, the end result is, you're going to die. And you get all worked up about it. And you get all fretful. All, all scared. You don't need to do it. Patient endurance. What's patient endurance do? Glory to God, Father God, I thank you. <laughs> I do not need a doctor's report to tell me that I'm doing okay. I have you. And if God says you're not okay, fix this, then you fix it. But if he told you to fix it, 
I've told you this before, and I've told myself it many times. If God ever tells you to fix something, He's told you with enough time to fix it. Say glory to God. If God has told you how to fix your high blood pressure, that means there's enough time to fix it before you die. But your doctor's going to come to you and say what? If you don't fix this, you could be dead. In a week, a month, whatever it might be. Don't listen to him. If God tells you how to fix it, he told you how to fix it in enough time. You've got plenty of time to do it. Just be obedient. Do what he said to do. It'll be good. I love the stories you guys have been giving me in the last couple of weeks. A situation going on in your bodies. And God told you, eat this, take this, do this, whatever it was. And things changed. That's phenomenal. That to me is the greatest story. I just love hearing people obeying what God said to do and things are going good in their bodies. They will go good for you. You need something? You need a miracle done in your life? And you know what, folks? Sometimes we come to a place and we need a miracle. That's all right. If you need a miracle, you've got a God who does miracles, but he uses what you, you don't, don't. Don't let the enemy sell you. You need a miracle, but you have to have this and you don't have that. So you're going to die. You're going to fail. It's not going to work. Don't buy it. Don't give into it. Because as soon as you give into that, your joy goes down, you're not walking in the peace of God, and your patience, endurance is out the window. Keep your joy up. Walk in the peace of God. And say, I am going to be in this test and trial, and I am going to learn patient endurance. And I'm going to stay in faith, and I'm not going to fall into fear, and I'm not going to fall into doubt. I am coming through on the other side. I am crossing the Red Sea. I am drinking the water. I am eating the food. God has a way. Always does. But the enemy wants to get you out of patient endurance. He wants to get you to fret and to fear and to despair, to lose your joy, to lose your peace. Do not have patience. But God has different plans for you. Would you all stand up with me? Father, I thank you for the plans that you have for us. You have plans for us to succeed, not to fail. You have plans for us to overcome, not to be overcome. You have plans, Father, for us to succeed, to be the head and not the tail. I thank you, Father, that we can keep your vision for our life at our forefront. That the enemy wants us to not have patient endurance. He wants us to get anxious and to feel the need. To feel hungry. To feel thirsty. To give in to that need. And to become complaining. Griping. To not trust God. To come against those that are there to help us. Father, you have different plans for us. With everyone here not looking around, head bowed. If you're here today and you say, I am facing a test of trial, and I can see myself as a child, children of Israel here, I've lost sight that God can use what I have. I've lost sight that there's a way out. I'm feeling the walls crumbling around me because the enemy is telling me so, not because God is. If you're in a situation and you're feeling your patience being tested, raise your hand up. We want to pray special for you. 
You're right. Father, you see the hands that are up? It's the testing of our faith that produces endurance. If our faith is being tested, it's a good thing because our endurance will increase. Father, I pray for those that raise their hand to keep them mindful that their joy needs to be forefront because that's their strength. The peace of God, the focus on that, let it umpire their life. Let it stabilize them and guard them. And to stay in that situation, to not give in like the children of Israel did, but to stay in that situation believing that God has their best for them and God is bringing them through. Thank you, Father, for the help that you give us in this. These situations will change when we stand in faith and we move in the direction of faith. Thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you raised your hand up, we're looking forward to a praise report from you. Stay in faith. Don't doubt. Don't fear. Don't let go. Hang on to the promises that God has given you in His Word. Don't let go of them. No matter what is telling you different, you hang on to the promises of His Word. Don't look back. Don't do like Israel did and look back at Egypt. Oh, it was better when it was... No, it wasn't. There's a reason that you left that. There's a reason God pulled you out of that. There's a good reason. Don't you give in to it. You hang on. God has a greater miracle in store for you. And Israel could have gone from great miracle to great miracle to great miracle. Instead, they went from great complaining to great complaining to great complaining. Eventually, they got a group who went from miracle to miracle. And they did great things. Be among those that do great things. Before we go, a couple of uh, praise reports. Daryl, I had to take... Um, I know another item to the repair center. God blessed it and that they that they um, looked at it immediately and provided the the um, obviously I've seen an E in there. The <laughs> thank you. The answer of how how to fix it free of charge. And he also has another one. I ordered a particular Christmas present on December first. Boy, you would think that would be in time, huh? I'm kind of thinking that's where it's going. I did not receive a shipping notice. I waited two weeks as my account was deficit, debit, debited. Uh, I expressed my concern to the company. <laughs> and uh, behold, my package arrived within two days. <laughs> there we go. Yep, so somehow, yeah, they got their money. Didn't get the, uh, the shipping thing. I've seen that with some, some places too. Sometimes you just got to, hey, what's, what's going on? Glory to God. We'll work those things out. Want to hear some praise reports? What's going on in your body? What's going on in your life? What's going on in your situations at work? What's going on in the things that you're you're facing? Patience and endurance is going to be tested in you, not because we're learning these things in church, not because you know you need them, because life happens around you. You will fall, you will come upon these situations, and they will test your faith. But God says, Your faith is greater. Your faith is greater. Stay in patient endurance and see the salvation, the deliverance of the Lord.
Let's all stand up again. Ray's not here today. Uh, we thought we was, he was going to be here. So if you're wondering where Ray is, uh, a couple people asked me about that. He uh, apparently was having a hard time sleeping. So he's just uh, home resting and getting some uh, rest going on. He is making some recovery on, from the stroke that he had. Um, Angela said that his, his, he's able to do a lot of things with his arm. There's a few things that are still a little uncoordinated, but uh, many of the things he's, he's able to do, and the person who's uh, doing the therapy with him is uh, very pleased at where he is and, and all that. So glory to God. Well, Father God, we're going out this week. I thank you that you have equipped us to help those that are around us that you have equipped us with everything that we need. That, Father, whatever it is that we face in this life this week, we have what we need. We won't let the enemy tell us different. We won't the, let the enemy say, well, if you only had this, well, you're lacking this. We won't, we won't hear that. Because when you did a miracle for the children of Israel, when you did a miracle in the New Testament, wherever it was you did a miracle, you used what they had. And when we put to use what we have, the miracles come. I thank you, Father, for it. We look forward to the testimonies of the miracle power of God at work here. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. Well, have a great week. For those that are coming on Wednesday night, I'm going to send you out a text on Tuesday if you normally come on Wednesday night. If you don't normally come on Wednesday night, you won't see a text. But if you normally come on Wednesday night, I'm going to send you out a text on Tuesday. Right now, everybody who came out on the last Wednesday was pretty sure that they were all going to be working out pretty good for this Wednesday. So we're planning this Wednesday <coughs> for, uh, for service. If we don't have service, it will be posted up on Facebook. If we, uh, whether we do or whether we don't, it will be posted up on Facebook. Right now we're planning on having service, but in the end, you know, we, we have, uh, I don't know, about a, uh, a dozen or so people that come on out. If half of them tell me they can't make it, then we'll probably postpone and put it off to the, to the next time. But right now it looks like everybody's coming. Or at least most people are coming. So we're planning on service for Wednesday. We're planning on service for Saturday night. We're having the 6 to 8 o'clock uh, special service. Here's what we're going to do on Sunday morning. Um, a couple of people had this idea. Somebody, somebody brought up one idea on, uh, on Wednesday night. And my daughter brought up an idea on uh, another day. So we're actually going to incorporate both of them. And we're going to try and do both. We're going to do this for Sunday morning. I'm probably going to prepare some kind of a video, uh, short little message for you that we will post on Facebook. How many are not on Facebook yet? All right, just wondering how many disobedient people we had in the church yet. <clears throat> just on you. Get on Facebook. It doesn't cost you anything. You have between now and Sunday. We're going to do this. If you're not on Facebook, if you have a friend who can, you can probably do it from there as well. But as long as you have somebody in the family that has a Facebook account, we're going to put a, some kind of video together. We're going to post that on the Sunday. But at 10 o'clock, we're going to do a live Facebook feed. And we're going, to have, uh, we're going to be gathered around a table ourselves. And you guys can gather wherever you want to, to gather. And we're going to just do a, a, a little uh, uh, family time. at 10. We're not going to spend the two-hour service. We're probably just going to do five, ten minutes. And you know, we'll pray together and we'll um, uh, read some of the Word. And we're just going to do some general things there on the, just all together. And so that will be 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, Christmas Day. If you don't want to participate, don't turn on Facebook. All you got to do. If you want to participate, you want to be a part of it, then uh, turn on Facebook and be there. I, I, somebody has to have a membership, I'm pretty sure, in order for you to be able to see it. And you'd have to have liked the church page. I'm pretty sure you would have had to like the church page in order to, to see it. I don't know exactly. But just do all those things and make sure that you're on there or somebody in the family is. And you can, you can do that. You can have that going. So we're going to have that 
um, up there for you on Sunday morning. But Sunday, Saturday night, we're going to be here, 6 to 8 o'clock. We're going to kind of mix in some of the stuff that we love from the Christmas Eve candlelight service and some of the things from Sunday morning. We're going to have the regular worship service. We're going to have a, a regular teaching time. And we're going to end with candlelight and some uh, carols and things like that. So that's going to be, be going on on the, on the end. Now, in the past, at Christmas Eve services, we've had some times of um, uh, cookies and hot chocolate in the kitchen. If you all want to do that, bring cookies. Because there are homemade cookies that we do. So if you want to bring some cookies out, we'll have that, that little bit of fellowship time that we can do. If you have to go right away at 8 o'clock, you have to go, feel free to head on out and roll. But if you want to hang out, bring some uh, Christmas cookies that you made, bring them along, and uh, we'll share them on Saturday night. Have a great rest of the week, and we will see some of you on Wednesday.